in the fall of 1961 in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Vince Lombardi, famed coach of the Green Bay Packers, stood up on the first day of training camp, held up a football, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. Probably one of the most famous quotes when seeking to stress the importance of fundamentals. The idea is that you can strategize about X's and O's, you can come up with lots of trick plays and fancy and exotic defenses and blitzes, but if you don't know the fundamentals and if you don't execute the fundamentals, then you're likely to either run off course or run out of steam. And church, the same principle applies to the Christian life, or more particularly, the life and mission of the church. That is, the life and mission of every single one of us who gathers as New Branch Community Church. That if we lose sight of the fundamentals of who we are and why we exist and what we're to be about doing, then church, we're likely to run off course or run out of steam. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to be walking through this series together, looking closely at a few of our fundamentals, why we exist as a church, and what we're to be about the business of doing. So if you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, let's start in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. Who is this sermon series for? Well, first of all, it's for the members of this church. If you're a covenant member of this church, then please recognize that we're talking about your family, your faith family, your church family. And this is a family meeting of sorts where we are able to be reacquainted with the reason why we exist and what our purpose is and what we're to be about the business of doing. And so we hope and pray that as members that you will pay attention to this and seek to understand these fundamentals, but not just to understand them, but to, but to recommit yourselves to executing these fundamentals. It's my hope and prayer that this would not just be a theoretical sermon series, but a, a practical one. And each of you as members will have the opportunity to recommit yourselves to not just knowing these things, but putting them into practice as well for God's glory. But this is a series that's not just for members, it's for non-members as well. If you've been attending for a while and you've not yet committed to membership, we hope that this series will give you some clarity as to what we are about here at New Branch. And it's our hope, it's our exhortation to you that you would be led to a decision about membership, to either commit to membership and join us in what we're about, or to decide that what we're about is not what you're about, and in that case, to find a church where you can commit to membership. But perhaps you're a member because you're relatively new, and maybe you're not even a Christian yet. Maybe you're investigating the claims of Christ. You're just here to kind of see what is this all about and is this stuff really for me? It's a great time for you to be here because it's our hope and prayer that during this series as we unpack the fundamentals 
of who we are, why we exist, and what we're to be about. That God would be so kind as to show you where you stand with him. And that if he shows you that you stand outside the faith, that he would be so kind and so gracious as to lead you to faith in Jesus Christ as your only hope through this series. So I'm asking you, I'm appealing to you to stick with us over these next five weeks as we seek together to reignite a passion for the glory of God and his kingdom and the glory of Christ here at New Branch. So let's read Matthew chapter 28. We're going to read verses 16 through 20. This is the word of God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing, the privilege it is to gather. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to sing to one another and to you about the beauty of the gospel and the glory of your name. And we thank you for this book that we hold in our hands. Thank that you, thankful, Father, that you have preserved it throughout the ages so that we can know and trust that it is your very breath. And in it is life. And so, Father, we ask that you teach us. But, Father, teach us in such a way that not just our heads would be informed, but that our hearts would be changed and our hands would do different things. We ask none other, Lord, that through your word and your spirit's presence that you change us. Not just change me, not just change my neighbor, but change all of us. Change us as a church. Transform us to be the church that you will look upon and say, that is a faithful church that I know will fulfill the mission that my son gave to it. So that's a tall order, Lord. But you are a worker of miracles. And so we pray those things in faith, in Jesus' name. Amen. So in Matthew chapter 28, we hear our coach. Our coach is telling this team some of the fundamentals. The fundamentals particularly about our mission. The setting here is after Jesus' crucifixion, which we just symbolized through the taking of bread and the juice. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried in a tomb. He rose three days later, and then he appeared to his disciples, and he gave them the mission of the church, our mission. And so if you're taking notes, the passage can be divided into four parts. 
First of all, in verse 16, we have the appointment. The appointment that Jesus made with his disciples. Verse 16 says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain, the mountain, to which Jesus had directed them. This is the only post-resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ that was by appointment. He made this appointment with his disciples and he said, meet me here on this mountain. I've got something important I want to give to you. And so this just demonstrates for us the importance of what he's about to say. The appointment is followed in verse 17 by their response, the response of the 11 disciples as they encounter Jesus on this mountain outside of Galilee. And their two responses are worship and doubting. Worship and doubting. Verse 17 says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. The very first activity of the church in the New Testament was worship. And the Greek word here for worship is proskuneo, which literally means to fall prostrate before out of reverence and honor. And we should note here that there's no guitar, there's no piano, there's no organ, there's no choir, there's no mention of any music whatsoever. All there is is the resurrected Christ. They may have sung songs, but they certainly worshipped. Worship is a natural, it's, a, it's an instinctive response to encountering the resurrected Christ. And we should note that our worship should never be contingent upon anything other than the presence of Jesus. It's not contingent upon the, the skills and abilities of our worship leaders and, our, and our, the folks that play the instruments and how they sing. It shouldn't be contingent upon our mood and, and, and how we woke up that morning. It shouldn't be contingent upon anything other than the presence of a resurrected Christ. Because when a believer in Jesus Christ encounters Jesus, he or she proskuneos. Proskuneos, falls down, prostrate, and worships out of reverence and awe and honor. But some doubted, we're told. They worshiped, but some doubted. We, we know of doubting Thomas but this is in the plural here. So it's more than, him, more than just him. Some doubted. And I think that's a realistic picture of the church on any given Sunday. Some are worshiping in spirit and truth, but some are doubting. Some are struggling. Struggling whether or not to believe this stuff. Is it really true? Is it, is it really true? Struggling whether or not God can really forgive them. Struggling with whether or not, does God really love me and really care for me? Does God really hear me when I pray to him, even though I feel like he's absent? Is he really still there? On any given Sunday, believers are worshiping him in spirit and truth, but some are doubting, some are struggling. So first, there's the appointment. Second, there's the response of the disciples, worship and doubt. And then Jesus speaks. And Jesus is going to give to them what has come to be known as the Great Commission. But before he gives the Great Commission, he prefaces that. He, he prefaces that with an appeal to his own authority 
to have the right to ask them of this. Look at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then the first two words of the next verse, verse 19, are go therefore. So the therefore in verse 19 tells us that the authority in verse 18 is the foundation, the basis on which the command that he's going to be giving him. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Jesus is the one with all authority. Jesus is the one with all authority. He's the authority of this church. Romans 13.1 tells us that there is no authority except that which is from God. Any authority that we have as, as pastors and elders of this church is borrowed authority. It's authority that's been entrusted to us to steward in a particular time for a particular reason. But it is God's authority. All authority belongs to him. All authority belongs to Jesus. He has all authority. And on the basis of that authority, he then issues the command in the subsequent verses. But before we get to those verses, I think we need to wrestle for a moment with the fact that he has the authority to ask this of us. And not just to ask this of us, but to command this of us. Our culture today doesn't like that word authority. The word authority is a bad word today in this pluralistic culture. Authority means someone else besides myself has the right to call the shots for me. Authority means that someone else has the right, someone besides me, to tell me how to live and how not to live, what to do and what not to do. And today's culture rejects that. But Jesus says, I have all authority, therefore do these things. And friend, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ as your only hope to be rescued from the judgment that you and I deserve because of our rebellion against the king, then Jesus has authority over you. And he has the authority to make these commands of you. So what is his command? Verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Verses 19 and 20 is one sentence in the Greek. And grammatically speaking, in this one sentence, there is one imperative verb, one command, and there are three participles modifying that imperative verb. The one command here is telling us what to do, and the three participles are modifying that command, telling us how to do it. The command here is not go. That's often what people say when I ask them, what is the command in the Great Commission? It's not go. Neither is it baptize or teaching. Instead, those are the three participles modifying the command. The command, the one imperative verb that Jesus says, I've got the authority to command this of you, the one command is make disciples. In the Greek, mathetuo. 
make disciples. And it's in second person plural here. So it's you guys or y'all make disciples. Y'all make disciples. That, that's our command from our king. That, that's our commission. That's our marching orders. This is the fundamental activity of believers and churches. Make disciples. Make disciples. Everything else here tells us how. How are we to make disciples? By going, by baptizing, by teaching. The word go literally means as you are going. As you are going through life, as you are living, working, and playing in a lost and dying world, take the gospel with you, take Jesus with you, penetrate that darkness in your spheres of influence, and make disciples. Make disciples of Jesus. Now we need a strategy for going so that we can make disciples of all nations. Panta ta ethne, of all people groups, of all ethnicities, everyone, everywhere. Make disciples of all nations, all peoples. There's no limit to that. So we need a strategy for that. But the fundamental core thing here is that we go. And so we're going to devote one of the Sundays in this series to specifically talking about how we go with the gospel. How do we go with the gospel and make disciples? How do we do that? How do we go with the gospel and make disciples? The second modifier here is baptizing. Baptizing them. Now, why is this in the Great Commission? Was Jesus interested in our baptism numbers? Is Jesus interested in the membership roles of Baptist churches in particular here? Why is this in the Great Commission? Well, what is baptism? Baptism is, by faith, publicly identifying with Jesus Christ his death, burial, and resurrection. It's saying that I have identified by faith with Jesus' death by dying to self and dying to sin. And I publicly demonstrate that by descending into a watery grave. But then I come up out of that grave because not only do I identify with his death, but I also identify with his resurrection through his spirit that now lives in me. Baptisms are a public profession of faith in Jesus. And they are beautiful and they are important because they represent lives that now belong to Jesus. Lives that now are giving glory to God rather than giving glory to self. And so because baptism symbolizes faith in Jesus and because baptizing modifies make disciples, Matthew then we can say that we make disciples by calling on lost people to come to faith in Jesus Christ by responding to the gospel. And church, don't we desire to see these baptismal waters stirred? Don't you desire that? I do. I desire to see people come up here and profess faith in Jesus Christ as their only hope for rescue. And then see them make that public 
through water baptism. I, I long to see that. The elders long to see that, and I know you do too. Now we know that it's not a direct correlation. God is the one who saves. We don't save anyone. But it is our sincere hope and prayer that God would so move in us that we would go with the gospel and proclaim the gospel and call people to faith and repentance in Jesus Christ and that God would be so kind as to allow us the privilege of celebrating that through baptism and seeing people baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit move in us and make that a reality here at New Branch. And the third modifier, going, baptizing, thirdly is teaching. At the end of verse 19, Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So what did Jesus command of us? Lots of things, right? Lots of things. He, he, he told us to repent of our sins, to believe in him. That, that's, that's how we become a disciple. That's how we become a follower of Jesus Christ. But he commanded a lot more. He commanded us to abide in him, to love him, to be holy, to rejoice always, to worship with him, to always pray and never, never lose heart, to, to not be angry, to love our enemies, to love our neighbors as ourselves, and so on and so forth. Lots of commands that Jesus gave during his earthly ministry. And what does the Great Commission tell us to do with them? He told us to make disciples by teaching people to observe them, all that he commanded. Note that Jesus didn't say, teach people all that I've commanded, but teach people to observe, to obey all that I've commanded. It's a huge difference, right? John Piper says, teaching people to parrot all that Jesus commanded is easy. But teaching people to observe all that Jesus commanded is impossible. And Jesus himself says in Mark 10, 27, with man it is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. And so to teach people to observe all that Jesus commanded is impossible with man. But the impossible is made possible with God. And so, at the conclusion of the Great Commission here, Jesus says, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. He promises his presence as an assurance to us that we can accomplish the Great, great Commission with him, by him, and through him. So these are the participles modifying that one imperative verb in this verse, make disciples. How do we make disciples? By going, baptizing, and teaching. Going describes the method of delivery. How do we get the message out? By going with the gospel. Baptizing and teaching describe the scope of discipling. What are we to do with these new disciples? We are to call them to faith in Jesus. We are to baptize them and then teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded. But our primary command here is to 
make disciples. Y'all make disciples. Friend, I just want to tell you that I believe that's why we're here. That's why we're here. That's why we are a part of this church. Because this is the command that Jesus left for us. And church, if we obey this command, then I believe that we will be doing our part to fulfill the purpose of God, which is to glorify Christ here and around the world. The stated mission of our church, we exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. Our primary purpose is to glorify God. Our primary function is to make disciples of all nations. And if that's true, well, then we better understand what it is he's asking us to do so that we can do it. So what is a disciple? Well, first, a disciple is not just a convert. Jesus didn't say, go and make converts of all nations. He said, go and make disciples. All disciples are converts, but I would suggest to you, not all converts are disciples. A disciple is a committed, lifelong learner and follower of Jesus. Someone who learns from Jesus, follows Jesus. A person who lives in Christ, learns from Christ, and follows and obeys Christ. And so, if you're not learning from Jesus, then you're not a disciple of Jesus. If you're not following Jesus and doing what he told you to do, then you're not a disciple of Jesus. And here's the kicker. Jesus is telling his disciples to make disciples. And a disciple is someone who learns from and follows and obeys Jesus, does what Jesus says to do. And what does Jesus say to do? Among other things, make disciples. So you see what Jesus is really telling us here. He's not just telling us to make disciples. He's telling us to make disciples. Make disciple makers. Every single one of us, this is not just for pastors and elders and base group leaders and church leaders. Every single one of us who calls Jesus our Lord is called upon by Jesus here as a disciple to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. It's the idea of multiplication. Multiplication was God's idea. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It was God's plan to fill the earth with people made in the image of God through multiplication. Now, it is God's plan to populate the kingdom with people recreated in the image of God through multiplication as well. Paul told Timothy, these things that you've heard from me in, in, in the presence of others, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also that idea of multiplication. Each one of us is responsible, not just to share the gospel, not just to have gospel conversations. That is an important first step, but it's just the first step of disciple making. Our responsibility goes beyond that, well beyond that. Our responsibility, our king's command to us, is to spend time with them, to model the Christian life before them, 
to pour our lives into them and to teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded to the point where then they will do the same and make disciples. That's our calling. And that's his calling, his command to every single one of us who call him Lord. Make disciples of all nations. And the nations begin with your next-door neighbor and their next-door neighbor and then their next-door neighbor. And then, as Dr. Luke tells us in the Great Commission account in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it goes to the ends of the earth. But the nations start with the person across the street, the person across the hall in your work, the person you encounter in your spheres of influence. Make disciples of all nations by going with the gospel, calling the lost to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe and obey all that Jesus commanded to where they will also obey all that Jesus commanded, including the command to make disciples. So we're going to spend the next four Sundays, church, unpacking what it means to be disciple makers in general but in particular here at New Branch. How do we do that? This is not just an annual vision series. Every January I take one or two Sundays to kind of reacquaint ourselves with what we're about And in particular, point to a few things that we as elders believe that we need to focus on in the new year. This is more than that. This, I hope, I pray, is the beginning of a new chapter of Great Commission faithfulness in our church. We've entitled this series, Gather, Grow, Go, but it's more than a title for a series. It's who we are, it's what we're doing. We gather because of the gospel, we grow in the gospel, and we go with the gospel. Friends, we gather because of the gospel, because the gospel has transformed us from sinners into saints, from the rebellious into God's children. The gospel has not only saved us to God, but has saved us into a family, this family. We gather because of the gospel. It's because of the gospel transforming work in us that we gather. And and God says that he has made us a people for his glory. And so we gather because of the gospel for his glory. But we grow in the gospel when we gather. We grow in the gospel. Our desire is that every single member of New Branch would be growing more and more and more into the likeness of Jesus. It's our hope and prayer that that at the end of 2021, you will be able to look back and see tangible, real, verifiable fruit and growth in your life, that you will look more like Jesus at the end of this year than you did at the end of last year. And so we're going to spend some time over the next couple of weeks in particular talking about what we mean about growth. What do we mean by growth? Not, 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 not growth organizationally, that we grow in numbers. We're not opposed to that. 
but growth spiritually. What, what do we mean by that? What does that look like, and, and how does that happen? But fundamentally, it's our expectation that we would grow, that we would grow. Each one of us would be growing. We ought to be able to expect that of ourselves, of one another, that it is our expectation that we would grow to be conformed to the image of Christ, maturity in faith with each passing year. But our expectation doesn't stop there. Our expectation should not only be that each of us grows in the gospel, but that each of us would be helping another person to grow in the gospel. Not just that we ourselves would grow in the gospel, but that, but that God would use us to help others grow in the gospel. That's what we're after here. Everyone growing and helping others grow in the gospel. So we're going to be spending some time in this series talking about how we do that and specifically how each of us can be engaged in executing that fundamental of the faith. So we gather because of the gospel, we grow in the gospel, and thirdly, we go with the gospel. Being the church is not primarily about what happens in here, but about what happens out there. John Piper says we come to church on the lookout for God, and then we leave the church on the lookout for people. We gather to grow in the gospel, and then we scatter to go with the gospel. Each Sunday when we leave our worship services, we should be reminded that we're entering a mission field. I, 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 I appreciate the fact that, that Brother John is, has made this mission wall that, that we see when we leave this place. But let us be reminded that, that this mission is not something that we primarily take part in through the support of our missionaries, but that we ourselves are missionaries. And we, when we walk out those doors, we're in that mission field. That we should see ourselves, our identity, as a missionary. That we are a sent people who have been sent by God with a mission, with a message, a message of hope. To a hopeless world, a world full of hopeless people who are lost and headed for a Christless eternity. And we have the message of hope. You know, while the world around us today is concerned about a vaccine for the coronavirus, we, the church, ought to be concerned about the vaccine that we've been given, that is the cure for the deadliest virus the world has never known, sin and death. Make no mistake about it. Sin and death are a virus that has infected 100% of humanity. And it is deadly 100% of the time. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only cure. And so we must get it out. We must get it out. And we must get it out now. There should be a sense of urgency about this. So how do we make disciples at New Branch? 
We gather because of the gospel, we grow in the gospel, and then we go with the gospel. Let me close with four desires that the elders have been talking through and praying about that has given rise to this sermon series that we'll be going over for the next few weeks. First of all, we want to see more people come to faith in Jesus Christ through the evangelistic faithfulness of our people, of us. We want to grow by conversion. And we, 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 we are grateful when God brings seasoned saints to us who are mature in the faith because they can help us in this mission. But we desire to see people come to know Jesus. We long for that. We long to grow through conversion. That's the example that we see, the pattern that we see in the New Testament church in Acts. And there's no reason why it can't happen today. We have the same message. And that message is against the very same problem that it was back then. Sin and death. The curse of sin and death, which is solved in the gospel. Secondly, we want to be the kind of church that God is pleased to bring new believers, whether it is through our efforts or whether they come to faith in Jesus Christ and whatever means, but that we would be the kind of church that God says, I'm going to send that new believer there because I know they'll be cared for. I know they'll be nurtured. I'll know that they're going to be discipled in the faith. The believers are going to come alongside them and walk with them to maturity in faith so that they too will become disciple makers. I want to be that kind of church. We want to be the kind of church where God says, I know that I can send a new believer there because they will be discipled to become disciple makers. Thirdly, we desire to see every single member enjoying the excitement of being actively and personally involved in both sharing the gospel as well as discipling others in the faith, helping others to grow. We want to see every member. This is not something that is just for the elite in Christianity. This is something that is intended for every single believer. So we want everyone to be a part of that. And then fourthly, we desire to be a church that will be able to regularly send out large groups of people to plant new churches. The vision of this church has never been that we just get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. The vision of this church has always been from day one that God would bring people to us so that we can grow them up in the gospel and then send them out to start new churches. Healthy organisms multiply. Healthy plants multiply into other plants. Healthy Christians multiply into other Christians. And healthy churches ought to multiply into other churches. But we want to be of the size where that is a sustainable church planting strategy. If we were to send out 50 people right now, that would, we would do it if the Lord led. But that would be a challenge for us. And we want to be the kind of church that we can regularly, every other year, by God's grace, every year, 
send out 50 people and plant a church in Flowery Branch, in Jefferson, in Winder, wherever God leads us. And that we're constantly churning, not just growing, but Lord, that we're, we're growing to the edge and then we're sending people out and we have to fill that again. And so we want to be the kind of church where that is a sustainable church planting strategy. And so we will continue to gather because of the gospel and grow in the gospel and go with the gospel. We will continue to preach and teach and challenge one another to grow and go and to help others do the same. Friends, this is a calling that's worth living for. And it's a calling worth dying for. It's something that I'm willing to give the rest of my life to see happen. What about you? Are you willing to accept the challenge to grow, to take seriously your walk with Jesus and grow in your walk with him and to fight whatever battles you have to fight, to fight against whatever sin you have to fight, to grow to look more like Jesus and then to turn to your brothers and sisters and to come alongside them and to help them do the same. And then go with the gospel. Literally, go out from here with the gospel and have those gospel conversations. Be ambassadors of Jesus. Be that missionary to the world that you and I have been sent to. Imagine this place if every single one of us accepted that challenge. Imagine this place if every single one of us got serious about our walk with Jesus, began growing in our faith, began helping others grow in their faith, and, and went out from here looking for and taking advantage of gospel opportunities. Imagine the impact to the kingdom. Imagine the sense of, of purpose and meaning that that would give to your life. I know you've got meaning and purpose in your, in your job. I know you've got meaning and purpose in your hobbies. But this is something worth dying for. This is something worth giving the rest of your life for. And there is no greater meaning, no greater purpose. I say that with seriousness on my face. There is nothing else you can devote yourself to that has this kind of meaning and purpose. But far beyond that, Far, far beyond that. Imagine, church, the glory that our God would have, the glory that the risen Christ would have among us if we got serious about this. This is what I want to give my life for. There is nothing else in this world that is worth the investment that this is. And I'm asking you to join me in this. Specifically, let's start by just joining me over the next four weeks as we seek to unpack what it means to first be a disciple and grow as a disciple, help others grow as, as a disciple, and then go with the gospel. And then I want you to accept the challenge. And it's not really a challenge, is it? It's a command. It's a command that's been given to us by our king who has all authority to give it to us. So I'm going to ask you to commit to pressing in to obedience to the Great Commission to be and make disciple makers for the glory of God.
I'm going to ask you, though that may be hard, though, though it may be awkward at first, though it may require sacrifices of you, I'm going to ask you to commit to pressing into obedience to being a disciple and making disciples so that the glory of Christ would be magnified among us. Will you accept this, not just as the mission of the church that you attend, but as the mission of your life, to glorify God by making disciples of all nations? Let's pray. Our Father, as we stand here at the outset of this time, this series, as we begin to think through what it means to be a disciple and make disciple makers and to grow in the gospel and go with the gospel. We know that we've got an enemy that does not want that to happen. And so I, I pray, Father, right now against the influence of evil, against the influence of our enemy, God, I pray that we as a church would hear more clearly from you and that you would be the loudest voice in our heart and mind over the next four weeks. Pray, Father, that you'd allow us the time and space to be serious with you, to humble ourselves. And if we're not growing as a follower of Christ, God, that you would lead us to repentance in that. And Father, that over the next few weeks that you would teach us that our growth is not even completely up to us. But we do have a role in it. There are things that we need to be active in. There are things that we need to give up so that you would grow us in the gospel. Father, we know that pressing in to something like this that involves all of who we are is going to reveal idols things that we've been giving ourselves to. And that's a good thing, Lord. I pray that you wouldn't let us up in that, that you would shine through your Holy Spirit the light of conviction on those idols that we have in our heart, in our life. Father, so that you can regain the place, the rightful place that you deserve, our King, our Lord, the one who with all authority has the right to command this of us. Build our faith in you, Lord. Build our faith so that we can be obedient. We can't do this without you, but we're grateful that you promised to be with us always to the end of the age. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen.